0: howdy friends and welcome to the run of the mills podcast you're uh here for the daily run as we make our daily run through the book of galatians we have been spending you know 10 minutes a day or so uh, going through the book of galatians and so it's taken us a little while um we are on episode number 55 and we are all the way toward the end in galatians chapter 6 and uh last time we finished up on verse 6 so that means we're on verse 7 and so this is probably a portion of the book of Galatians that you have heard before. And this is something that somebody pointed out to me years ago. And I think it's—I think it was a very um, accurate observation. And that was this, that you will hear most pastors, most preachers on any given Sunday, preaching from the second half of Paul's letters. You hear a whole lot of sermons from uh, Romans chapter 12. You hear a whole lot of sermons from Galatians 5 and 6 and Ephesians 5 and uh, and so on because it's the practical part, right? It's the practical part. See, one of the things that Paul does in his letters is he starts off with the doctrine, the theological, and then in the later chapters, he shifts gears and he says things like, uh, in, like, for example, in Galatians 12, uh one and two where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. I beseech you, brethren. No, I, I'm begging you, brethren, therefore, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Well, therefore, in light of everything I've told you, that's kind of what he's saying. I'm 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 begging you, in light of everything I've told you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Like it's only reasonable that you do this that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice in light of all that God has done for you, you know, in in light of everything I've just written about in the first, you know, eleven chapters, and so this is a common thing that that uh, you know once this was pointed out to me, I noticed it all over the place that these are the practical application verses. Now, I think it's important, uh, you know, when you're when you're preaching when you're teaching God's word uh, to uh, to uh, bring some application to the table but not always, you know, I I think this is one thing about God's word is God's word is applicable. And so, uh, do I have to tell everybody how to apply it? I don't think so, but I think sometimes it's very helpful. Um, sometimes people need to be told very clearly things that God's word says very clearly. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need somebody just to come out and tell me as blunt and as plainly as possible. So anyway, all that to say this last the last chapter this la- and uh the previous chapter uh probably uh, for most of us, it echoes in our mind more clearly because we're like, oh I've heard these things this is this is familiar to me, this is familiar to me, especially when we start talking about the book of Galatians, where so much of it is about the Judaizers and those who would um, have these new Christians become circumcised and brought under the law, which uh, is a, is a minor, very minor. Thing that we encounter in the western church now those who would say you know you need to be um, under the law you need to uh become hebrew um you know and even even in, in what's sometimes referred to the, as the hebrew roots movement those who have um, gone back and and embraced a lot of the the hebrew traditions and um, certain aspects of of the law certain aspects of uh, judaism uh, feast days um, practicing feast days and such, and there's a huge variation in those people and, and in those groups. It's really easy to lump any group together and say, oh, Hebrew Roots Movement, that's those people that are bringing you back under the law. Well, not always. Not always. And maybe not even most of the time. Um, not I haven't been to enough to make a judgment on most or less. The, the point is that there are some that they definitely do that. They're, they desire to bring you under the law. And there's others that are not. They're, they're saying, look, there, there's a whole great uh, richness in the Hebrew culture that will help you understand um, the uh, the Bible better. Um, and then there's everything in between, of course. So anyway, uh, all that to say that this little verse you've probably heard before, verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, as I read this, I was thinking, you know, I've been talking about this for the last year. Because one of the things that I do at um, at my current job slash ministry is that I get to do a chapel service for kids on Sunday mornings. And the chapel that I do for the kids is uh, is very odd. It's a very strange thing, especially uh, for me, because my daughters and I lead them in songs that are singing praise and worship to God. But most of the kids that are there don't go to church. They're not Christians. They don't know anything about the God that we're leading them in singing songs about, which is kind of a strange thing. The other thing is that a lot of these kids, uh, you know, like I said, they've never been to church before, and so we're we're kind of introducing them to some very basic ideas about who God is and how how to know more about Him, things like that. And so I've been lately telling, uh, talking about a lot about about faith because I found that there are a lot of kids that they don't believe in God. And when you ask them why, their reason is not um, an intellectual reason. It's not an uh, an emotional reason. It's not a philosophical reason. It's um, It's an issue basically of they don't believe in a God that I don't believe in, right? They have been told something about God that's not true. And so they've rejected that because they've seen it play out in their life that this is just not true and so they say well i don't believe that because that god failed me and i don't believe in that god that failed them either my god doesn't fail but some of them have been told things about god that are untrue and so they believe these some of these ideas like if you pray hard enough god's going to give you what you want and then they pray hard pray hard and god doesn't do what they want and so you know, grandma's sick with cancer and they're praying and praying, God, heal my grandma, heal my grandma, heal my grandma. And then grandma dies and they go, well, there must not be a God because somebody told me that if I prayed hard enough, God would do it, you know, and I prayed hard and God didn't do it. So God must not exist. I don't believe in him. So anyway, it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting group that I get to talk with. And, um, and honestly, uh, if you ever think of me on a Sunday morning, pray, pray for us because, there is such a hardness of heart with these children where, you know, there's a group of 35, 9, 10, 11 year olds, and I'll be telling a funny story about a rabbit, and then I will kind of take that story in and uh, work over toward talking about Jesus. And almost on a weekly basis, almost on a weekly basis, when I say Jesus' name, just saying his name, like this one time Jesus or Jesus said this 9, 10, 11 year old kids will stand up and walk out. They'll stand up and walk out. And I don't think it's necessarily because of the things I mentioned earlier, but I think some of it is just they've been trained. They've been trained that you don't want to hear that. That's bigoted. That's close minded, whatever. Anyway, um, one of the things I've been sharing with them uh, was a story about a rabbit that we had at the camp for years that we called Pee-wee the, Pee-wee the Nervous Bunny. Um, some of you that have heard my stories before probably have heard me tell the story of Pee-wee the Nervous Bunny. But to to, to uh, kind of break the story down to its simplest form, we had a rabbit whose name was Pee-wee, um, and he was a Nervous Bunny. And anytime you got near his cage, he would kind of slink to the back, he would quiver, and he would pee all over the place. And so one day there were two little girls that came to the bunny farm where I was working that day and they came over and they said, Hey, can we, um, can we pet the bunnies? And I said, sure. So I opened up one of the rabbit cages for them, and they pet that bunny. And then they closed the rabbit cage and they pointed the rabbit next to it. And they said, can I pet, can we pet that bunny? And I said, sure, go ahead. So they opened the cage and they did this for 15, 16, 17, I don't know, 20 bunnies. And finally they came to the last cage home of, Peewee, the nervous bunny. And they said, can we pet that one? And I said, uh, no, he doesn't like people. And they said, oh, no, he likes us. Now, they were probably six and seven years old. And I said, oh, no, no, he doesn't. That's Peewee, the nervous bunny. He doesn't like people. Oh, he likes us. Now, they didn't know anything about him. They had no understanding of him. I, however, was Lord of the Rabbits. I knew all these bunnies. I worked with them on a daily basis. I knew which ones were friendly and the one that wasn't. Well, they ignored me and said, no, well, he likes us. And so they opened the cage door and went to pet him. And when they went to pet him, he turned and hopped away in his frightened state. And as he turned and kicked out with his cottony little back feet, out went a big spray of, shall we say, nervousness. And those little girls looked up at me with their little speckled faces. And one of them said, Did he step in his water bowl? And I said, oh, no, let's uh, clean that off. And so then I shot them in the face with a hose. And there's a lot more to the story of Wee the Nervous Bunny. But those girls in the story didn't want to listen to me. They thought they knew better than the Lord of the Rabbits. And so they acted contrary to what I, Lord of the Rabbits, had told them and warned them about. And the consequences were, well, the bunny urine baptism um, and getting sprayed in the face with a garden hose and me telling this story for the better part of 25 years. And all because they decided to do something contrary to what I had told them. And so I use this story to talk about this whole idea of, you know, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Now, I don't use this verse when I when I share with them. Uh, I use more of uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own, own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will guide your paths. So the, the idea being like trust in the Lord. Don't don't trust in your own understanding, what you think is right and what you think is best, but say, hey, what does God say? And so that's kind of the point I take it. And but it's it's the same thing with this one, right? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If you sow disobedience and you sow sin, if God says no and you go, I know better, you're going to reap that, right? Whatever you plant is what grows. And if you sow disobedience, you're going to reap corruption. That's what the next verse is going to talk about. But You know, those girls, they they decided not to listen to me and they planted something else. They rejected my wisdom as Lord of the Rabbits and embraced their own ignorance. And what grew out of that? Well, a, a very negative situation for them. So this is the thing. This is a, a principle that God is laying out here that Paul's, that Paul's speaking of that, you know, don't be deceived. But yet, and yet we are, we, we constantly are, I think, think I know better. I know what's best. I mean, we, it's, it's that, that strange pride of human nature that we think we are, that we know the best. And if you ever wonder about this, if you have kids, ask yourself this. If you have kids, how how hard was it to decide who would watch your kids or raise your kids should you die? No, some of us, I don't know if we've even made a decision on this because it's so hard. Because all of us seem to think that nobody could do it better than us. Now, could somebody else parent my children better than me? 100%. 100% hundred percent. Somebody could do it better than me. But um, it's very hard. It's very hard. You know, so that's just kind of pointing out that, that inherent arrogance and pride in us that we have a very inflated view of ourselves. And unfortunately, far too often, we walk in our own wisdom, which is really walking in ignorance because we're rejecting God's wisdom. And then we're shocked and we're surprised. When we reap what we have sown. God bless you. Talk to you next time.